the priority wasn't the players or where they came from or their or their struggles or or how they got there. And I wanted to change that. I wanted to be a guy who told the player's story, told the coach's story, you know, got guys' names right. This is For the Love of the Game, hosted by old school college soccer coaches, Ralph Perez and Ray Reed. Between these two, you're listening to 81 years of coaching college athletes, nearly 900 career wins, five national championships, and approximately 17,546 names in their contact lists. On this podcast, they grab some of those names and talk about what's going on in the soccer world today. This week, Ralph and Ray are talking with Donnie Marshall. Yes, the former pro basketball player turned broadcast commentator. While most people know Donnie for his incredible basketball career, what a lot of people don't know is that he got his start in sports playing soccer. And he attributes a lot of his skills on the basketball court to his time on the soccer field. Plus, before being the 39th overall pick in the 1995 NBA draft, he played for the University of Connecticut where Ray coached the men's soccer team for 25 years. Here they are, Ralph, Ray, and Donnie. I was uh, probably, I'd say probably kindergarten, first grade, and I, I had a fall. The, the short story is I had a spill at recess, and uh, it was one of those big dome metal things, fell off the top, cut my hand, still actually have a scar on, on my hand, and my mom took me to, to a, a local medical center, not a huge hospital, and the the medic was Dean Mead was his name. Medic Mead, we called him. He was a big guy, six, seven, probably 300 pounds. He said, you know, does, does, uh, does your son play soccer? And my mom's like, no, we just, you know, we're, we're, we were trying to piece it together. My mom had just moved us from, from, uh, Detroit. So I, I kind of started school a little late. She's a single mom. And so, you know, slow start in the Seattle area is, is where she moved us to when I was very young, my brother and, and myself and, and her. And so we, we get in, she says, no, we're just trying to meet people. And we just, you know, school just started. So he said, you should bring him out for soccer. You know, he's a good sized kid already. A lot of kids, his same size, his age, bring him out. So that was kind of how it started. We went out for a couple of practices. I was fast as all get up. And all I remember is a lot of toe punts. It, it was, I, I didn't know what I was doing. These kids had been playing to take a walk. And I, I was just, an, I, my mom knew I was an athlete and I just, I kicked that ball so far with my toe, thought I was doing something until about the third practice. And we had some good coaches when I was a kid too. Really, really good coaches. Um, not just parents who coach. And I give, I give parents who coach a lot of credit, but real coaches that had played professional before played in college. And, and so he's, you know, by the third practice, I'm beating everybody around. We, you know, it's, it's, we, we get to practice. It's two laps around. I mean, they, they, you know, you're, you're seven years old, two laps around this field. Like, wow, this was, am- I remember this. It, it was almost like it was a scar, but it, we ran around. I beat everyone. It was great. I sprinted two laps around this, this field. And so we finally third practice says, listen, I know a lot of you're kicking it far, but that's not how the game is played. And I was devastated because I'm like, Oh, this is easy. I'm fast. I'm kicking it further than everyone with my toe. Uh, and, and that's when I kind of, the, 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 the game really became something special to me because I felt like there were kids that were coached that were my color. You know, you had Asian kids. You and I remember this is Seattle in, in, in the eighties, Asian kids, you know, Hispanic and Mexican kids, mixed kids, white kids. So the, there was a melting pot and I just, I felt so comfortable in my own skin and it's interesting because that group of, of, there were probably eight or nine of us. We stayed together all the way through high school. 
club soccer, you know, all the way up through middle school, high school soccer team, we all stayed together. And, and then, you know, I felt this, this amazing love for, you know, being outside and the smell of grass. And even today at 50 years old, when I smell grass being cut, it takes me back to when I was a kid uh, playing soccer, you know, these early tournaments that do on the ground, uh, just the, the sound of the birds when you get to, you know, fields and fields of soccer, knowing that we, we you know, the, the other thing that helps, I have to, have to admit, is we were really good. And once we learned kind of how to play and take the ball, we were spectacular. I can't remember losing a game probably from the age of seven to probably 15. I mean, really, that that's kind of my, my first feel of sports. I ran track as well at, at about that same time, went to Hershey in Pennsylvania, ran in that when I was nine years old, uh, ran in track meets in, in Sacramento, Arco, Jesse Owen. So I, I did a lot of that individual stuff in terms of, of sports running track, but the soccer is really what get, you know, really taught me how to lead, taught me how to be myself and just in, enjoy who I was in my own skin. Remember, remember I came from my mother's Scottish and my father was from the Ivory coast of Africa. So you know, I, I got, I, I say I had the best of both worlds, but at the time you don't realize that, you know, you either have to be one or the other and being raised by a blue, blue, blue eyed, blonde haired woman. It's hard to, to not have people look at you even back then saying, you know, Oh, he's adopted. And then trying to figure out who you were with this white woman raising you. So soccer really helped me with the, the gentrification of, of where we lived my life diversity, inclusion, even before that was really a thing. You played through high school, though, right? Did you play until you went to college? I did. I played all the way through high school. And I had, uh, so we, we, we won. So for us, regionals was in Denver. So we won a lot of, I think, U12, U14, 16, we won regionals. And then um, I started playing basketball really, you know, organized when I was in the 10th grade. I was actually, was, I was getting ready for a soccer game. And we were out in the foyer of our middle school. And the high school coach, he was going to see a, uh, a basketball tournament that was in the gymnasium uh, of the middle school, the junior high school. And I was out with soccer balls. Get, we were warming up because the field wasn't too far from this little outdoor foyer. And I had two soccer balls. And this is I'm, I'm ninth grade now. And I jumped up. And there's a hoop outside. We're playing. We're playing horse with our feet. You know, we're, we're, you know, more, more, most kids are playing at shooting jump shots. We're playing horse with our feet, you know, different tricks. And so I jumped up and dunked two soccer balls at the same time. Now, I don't know if the hoop was 10 feet tall. It might've been at least nine, but it was definitely, I was definitely an athlete. So the coach kind of does the double take the high school basketball coach. And so he comes down to the field. He watches, he's, I see him before the game. He says, I want to find your mom. I say, Oh, she's in the pink sweater in the stands up there. He says, okay. So the first half goes by coach. It was great. Now he's a black coach, Jerry curl, you know, just what you would think if I had to make a movie, I, I really, it would, it would be spectacular. Jerry curl. He's a pastor of his own church, a God fearing man. Uh, and until this day, I don't think I've ever heard him swear. Uh, so he says, so first half goes by soccer game. He, he comes down to the field, you know, down to where we are at halftime and, uh, he said, now remember I'm in ninth grade. So he said, I, I couldn't find your mom. Did she leave? And I said, no, no, no. She's, she's, oh, she took her sweatshirt off. She has a white shirt on now. And so he, uh, he, he, he you know, second half goes by, we, we win the game. He comes down and my mom is next to me. I got my arm around her. And, uh, he says, I I'm so he's like Donnie, right? I said, yes. He's like, I, I could not find your mom. I, I couldn't see her. So now, meanwhile, he's no, no, you know, what's happening. 
I have this blonde haired blue eyed woman under my arm. He's looking for a black woman. So, <laughs> so he is automatically from the start. That was the first impression. I've never seen a, a dark person face turn white and it turned white. So that was kind of the first uh, exchange with Jerome, with my high school basketball coach and my mom. Uh, he was embarrassed to, to, to say the least. And uh, you know, that, that was kind of how, I was introduced to to the game of basketball at that next level. And, you know, he was like, wow, he's athletic. He can jump. I saw him out in the outdoor foyer. He's dunking two soccer balls. Why has he never played the game? And my mom said, he's a soccer player. We've always, you know, between car washes and selling pepperoni and pizzas and everything else, this is how we navigated, you know, tournaments in the summer to get to Denver and to get to Pleasanton, California and Vegas and all these places to play in these soccer tournaments. Um, so that was kind of my first, that was my first experience with him. And my mom said, whatever you say, he's still going to be a soccer player. You know, the goal is to graduate high school and go play professional soccer. And he said the S word to my mom and that changed everything. That S word was scholarship. And <laughs> that pretty much changed everything for her. There you go. Ralph, go ahead. Well, you know, Donnie, uh, it's a great story. I, I, I do remember scouting uh, the Olympic development program. You know, uh, Washington was always a good area for soccer players. But anyway, my question is that you're a two-sport athlete, and we see this a lot. A lot of young soccer players, even some great ones like yourself who went on to play professionally, make that choice with when they're going to leave, whether it's go to football full-time, soccer full-time, basketball, because kids are really doing that. I think the question I have for you is uh, what similarities and what were the big differences being a two-sport athlete like that? For me, I think what people, I still tell people that I was talking to someone last night at a game I called and they they were asking me about footwork and, and foot drills and stuff like that. And, and I can't imagine I'd be as successful as I was in basketball, you know, NCAA, All-State, NBA, if I didn't play soccer. I mean, everything that I, my core, my my foundation was because of soccer, because of, I would say the teamwork aspect of it I learned at an early age to care about my time and my teammates time. Um, I I would say, you know, in a nutshell similarities, you know, it's from the basic, you throw, you you know, you score when the ball hits a net, that's the simple answer. Um, Yes. You know, there, you know, basketball people have to understand it's a confined area with bigger bodies, not as much flow in terms of movement spacing, happens really fast. I think the misconception for soccer, and I've always, even to this day, I argue with people who don't know the game. Uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine who hosts a radio show for ESPN. He played in the NBA about 12, 13 years. And and I told him we, my family, my kids, and I I have three little ones. We did, we missed one world cup game. One. We watched everyone, every other game together. And we'll do the same for, for the women's world cup. And I'm trying to convince him that this is, it's a wonderful game because it's boring. It's not, I said, well, you know, it's not, you know, it's, I think the, 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 the best critics are the people who know, or at least the people who think they're the best critics are the people who know the least about what they're talking about. It, it, I've learned that, you know, so, you know, when teams are losing, it's always the fans who know what rotation should happen, how many, how many minutes guys should play. It's same, same with if you don't, if it's sport to sport. And, and so I told my buddy, Tony Smith, I'm like, you have to watch one game and you'll be hooked men, women. It doesn't matter. And I know I'm biased because I grew up in the game, but you know, the, the, the differences I think are 
In my opinion, I think the game of basketball is a much more toxic game today. Now I'm well removed from soccer, but I still have friends who are agents who represent soccer players in the MLS. Uh, I still have connections in that sense of one phone call away. Can we get tickets to a Sounders game? Can we get tickets to a Timbers game? Whatever it might be. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm close enough to it that I still know that the game of basketball at a, at the youth level is very toxic. It's very, every sport is political. I know that, but it's very political, over politicized in terms of who you are, how much money you make or your family makes. So I would say, in my opinion, the, the, the soccer to me is still the, the, the healthiest sport that I could imagine having my kids be a part of. And, and I would imagine, you know, again, when you get to the professional level, it's business. So you, you get that, but it's still to me, the healthiest game. It's, it's the most pure game in terms of what we can teach our kids. You know, it's, it's health in terms of physical there are some injuries, but football, we know where that's going. Uh, basketball, I just think that it's, it's, it's played right now for the wrong reason. A lot of families are pushing their kids into that because they think it's a nice payday. So that, to me, is the purest. When, when I was a kid growing up watching Rude Gullet and, and Rumenega and Maradona and Pele and you know soccer made in Germany on Sundays as a kid, that's what I felt. I felt... I want to be a part of this because look at the crowds, the crowds to me also are obviously we have great crowds in basketball, but you have never experienced true love from fans of a sport. Unless you've been to a, which I have a Panathinaikos soccer game, Juventus. If, if you have not been to a, even, even a, you know, premier league game, MLS games, obviously we know there's, there's some disconnect from certain teams. Don't, don't draw as, as well, but until you've been to a major soccer game, you don't know what, what loving your sport is about. Loving look what fans love for, for a sport is all about. Oh, that's well put. Donnie. So you play hoops in high school. Mm. You go to UConn now. Tell us about your time at UConn and work, working for and playing for the legendary Jim. Kuhn. You know, it's, it's interesting the, 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 the thing about coach Calhoun is, and I'll, I'll, I'll make this story. I'll give you the, the cliff notes. Coach Calhoun was the only coach to come on a home visit that got out of a cab and said, I will leave when you decide this, the, the home visit's over every other coach limos, car services, five, six assistants. He was by himself, Jim Calhoun. But the other thing that, that I thought was interesting about coach is he said, you know, he never talked about NBA, never talked about making money. He talked about knowing that I was raised by a single mother. He talked about manhood. He talked about values, you know, all the stuff that I think to, to some regard today is, is secondary. You know, you want kids who can score. You want kids who, who are going to bring exposure to your, to your program. You know, he, that wasn't what coach was about. He did say we can build something that they've never seen in Connecticut uh, and, and we could be, and I could be a part of that. So that, that to me, when he talked values and manhood, and, and when you come back here, you're going to be something that no one ever expected. Maybe you didn't even expect yourself to be. And he, he, he nailed it. You know, he, he really hit the nail on the head. And I thought that was, you know, he, he lost his dad at a young age. Um, I didn't have a father growing up. So we had that connection. And he never abused any of that. He never, he never made us feel or made me feel like I was lucky to be playing for him. He always made sure it was, you know, this is a, um, a valuable resource you have that's going to help you the rest of your life. And he was, 
he couldn't have been more right. He gets criticized a lot. He was tough on us. He was tough, but I needed that. You know, I needed that strong hand to be like, you can be better than anyone expects you to be. Right. Now, look, he, I was at 25 years, changed my life personally, professionally, financially. But I, one of the best things I ever got was getting to know this guy, watching him work with the teams. And you know what? People would be upset when they saw him sometimes on TV. And I would tell people, don't judge a book by his cover. Do not judge a book by his cover. This guy is coming from a position of loving guys. And look, I did it in soccer too. You piss some guys off with tough love, but a lot of guys you help. And I have the utmost respect. And I did not realize this. I'm going to say it now, yeah. but I didn't realize, but you were named to UConn's all-century team, which is one of the top 25 players in school history, which is a big, big statement. Two-time All-Big East member. I know that. We'll talk about the pros in a minute. How? Talk a little bit about your career at UConn, you know, who you played with, how you liked it, what it, what it did for you. Yeah, you know, when I first got there, I was this. It's interesting because, again, everything goes back to soccer. It really does for me. And not just because of this podcast. It just this is my life. When I got there, I was I had these big tree trunks as, for legs. And my upper body was frail. You know, I was thin, athletic, but had these tree trunks. And the first two years, I had a – I can't remember the kid's name. It's going to kill me. He was a, our goalie, the, the team's goalie. And he lived in my dorm. And I would get – we would go out and, and work. I would – give him reps. You know, I would, I would just, we'd bring balls out and I just pound them at him. And and so coach Calhoun found out a few times. He said, listen, you, you're not a soccer player anymore. But, and, and just by the way, I signed my letter of intent to go to UConn in October of 90, 90. And I still played because on the West coast soccer for us was in the spring. Right. I still played soccer for the high school team. And we were at one point ranked number one on the, on the West coast. And coach Calhoun called my mom and said, wait a second, he's a basketball player now. And she said, coach, which was great. I, he called and I said, he said, Donnie, this is coach. I knew what he was calling about. Cause I was leading the state in goals, scored and assists USA today, number one team on the West coast. And I knew what he was calling for. I handed the phone to my mom and she says, when he gets to stores, you, you, you can have him then. But right now, you know, he's a soccer player. He wants to live out the rest of this dream that he's been living. So anyway, that that's that. But I did work out with the soccer team. So about my sophomore year, he said, listen, you're a basketball player. We're paying for you to play basketball and go to school. You're not soccer. So it took me. And then, and then by my sophomore year, my body just transformed. My legs got thinner. Now my shoulders widened. It, it really was remarkable when I look back at pictures of how my body changed. But yeah, you know, we worked out differently. Me at the time, there were eight freshmen. So Danielle Marshall was one of them. Kevin Ollie was another one. Brian Fair, great shooter. Uh, Nantamba Willingham. We Rudy Johnson. We had some great players. Jeff Calhoun. But probably my, you know, my my junior years when I th- we were really good. But my junior years when it really felt like it was our team. Ray Allen came in. Uh, Travis Knight was there. So played with some great players. Daron Shepherd transferred in. He was from from Israel. And things took off. You know, we started winning. I think the exposure the women also had, uh, I think my senior year, they went undefeated um, with Rebecca Lobo and, and that group. And, and that's when we were on the map. You know, we were on USA Today. It seemed like every other week talking about, you know, Huskies. And we had some great, great players. We had great coaches as well. Dave Lato, Carl Hobbs, uh, Howie Dickenman is the one that he's the one who got me to UConn. Coach Calhoun didn't see me play live until I got to campus. That's how much he trusted Howie Dickenman. So we had some mega stars in terms of my teammates, but also coaches as well. Tom Moore, who's now still at you back at UConn, great, great coach that I played for. Look, I think you guys. I got there in '97. 
I think you guys paved the way for the 99 team. I think the 2004 team, the 11 team, they don't, you guys did not win the thing, but you were so goddamn close and you, and, and you did things the right way. I tell you a funny story before I kick it to Ralph. So as I got to know coach better, Calhoun, we started talking about you. And I'm like, you know, I wish I was here a little earlier. He goes, why? Well, I could have got Donnie. I would have got him in good shape for you. We would have let him run. <laughs> I can't say because on the air, but he gave me a couple adjectives that I, that was not happening. <laughs> well, he always knew that my speed and my endurance came from playing soccer. He, he always knew that, you know, and he just, he helped, you know, morph that into being a, a, a terrific basketball player. But it helped. That was my foundation, you know. But yeah, he was, he, he was not shy. He, 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 he was no shrinking violet, as I like to say. Every big home game we won at Connecticut when he was working there, big games, I would yep. shake the other team's hands. I'd walk back. He'd be at midfield to hug me. This guy was, and some of these were in October, November, middle of basketball season. Great guy. Called the team the year we won the national championship. Called the team. They had practice in the morning. He called the team, asked me to put him on the phone with the guys to talk before the final game when we beat uh, Creighton. Uh, great guy. Misunderstood guy. Great guy. Give it a shirt. And I know how much he loves you and how he's proud of you. And look, you guys were the old school guys. You guys played hard. You played tough. You know, I'm not saying I don't mean you, kind of mean in general. That's all changed. Yeah, yeah. We'll pin yeah. him on what he was about, I think. Yeah. yeah. And you say misunderstood. I think that's another thing that connected us because I thought I was as well you know when i came in probably the least touted but the, probably the best athlete possibly on that out of those eight um but i misunderstood you know again you know growing up black white people kids call me the n-word black kids call me white boy so i, I was a little bit of that and i think coaching that, i think that's what brought us close and and we still you know speak you know once a week today so I, that's that's another thing that brought us together is just kind of being misunder misunderstood a little bit coach perez well, Donnie, as you said, you know that you you physically changed your whole physique in uh, in those two first years at UConn, and obviously your your playing skills. But tell me what you think was an important attribute that you had, and what allowed you to go because everyone has that dream to go from high school to college to the pro game, and not everyone can fulfill that dream. You know, today they talk about skill set. I think. It definitely in basketball, what's his skill set? And and I don't think enough credit is given to hard work as being a skill set. I, I think today kids don't know how to work hard. They think they are. They don't know. They think they're in there an hour or two shooting shots from half court and they think they worked hard. You know, for me, it was my work ethic. It was my edge. There were, there were nights when I was fifth grade until fourth grade, fifth grade, all the way through middle school where I would go to the to, to the elementary school or the middle school at the loading dock with my soccer ball and just take shots. The lower part of the loading dock, they have that bump out so when the truck's backed up, they wouldn't smash the back, and I'd have to keep it below that. And then on top of the loading dock where they walk up the stairs and go in the building, I would shoot shots high. And that was every day after school until those street lights came on. And then my mom said, as soon as those lights hit, you better be at this front door. So for me, I think – my edge and my ability to want to be better than everyone, including my brother and my cousins and, you know, everyone that was in front of me, I wanted to prove wrong. I wanted to be better than, and that today isn't, is it's not as prevalent. It's, it's not a priority for, you know, people 
not just kids, but people in general, athletes, people in general, they want to just kind of, they want the easy way. And yes, we all want the easy way, but there's no value in that. And I think even the rest of my life, after I became an NBA player, a father, an owner of a golf course, board of trustee member, all those things, I still remember how hard I worked. And when I accomplished those, it's like, okay, I'm still in a way I'm still overachieving. So work ethic to me lasts you your entire life, sports, work, family, it will help you your entire life. And I just think that's, that's something that the skill set that I think a lot of young people are missing today is how to work hard. Donnie, 39th pick in the NBA draft in 95, six season <laughs> Cavaliers, Bucks, Nets, 0203, back-to-back finals. Yeah. Talk a little about your NBA career. I, I was lucky, you know, the draft night, Draft day, you know, being a Seattle kid, I got a call from George Carl, who was a coach at the time, said, we're going to take you with the number 20, I don't know, 2, 3, 24, somewhere in their pick. So I'm like, okay, great. And I had, I, you know, I had known George. I worked out with the Sonics every summer I was home from, from college. Sean Kemp, Detlef Shrimp, Derek McKee, Sadell Three, Gary Payton. These guys were my brothers. Vince Askew, they were like my older brothers, took me under their wing and I worked out with them every day in the summer to try to speed up the progress from, from playing basketball later in life, from picking up the game later. Uh, so every summer, Marty Conlon, another great player that, I, that helped me, my game and my mindset of trying to get to that next level. And I didn't know at the time I wanted to play in the NBA. I just thought, hey, I'm in college. We got a good team. I want to help. You know, I, wa- I want to go in and, and I'm learning every day. So the draft, you know, the, the college is great. We have great teams, a couple NCAA tournaments, go deep. And then draft day comes, I get a call, and, and I'm like, great. But we were out in my mom's backyard playing uh, 3v3. True story. My brother can attest to it. We were in the backyard draft day playing soccer. <laughs> and so my brother yells out the window, Orlando, because what happened was he thought they, they, they said it was a D name. So we thought it was me. And then he said, no, I'm sorry. No, no, no. no I, my, my mistake, my mistake is my brother was there. A couple family members were there. And so I'm like, all right, well, just let me know. So we're literally, and actually one of my friends, I'm still friends with three of the kids that, that we were playing three V three. So we're playing three V three. And then my brother yells out the Cavaliers, the Cavaliers drafted you. I'm like, sweet. So we had to finish the game though. So we're, so I'm literally, my mindset is my mindset at the time guys was, I'm not sure I'm going to get drafted. And I was already training and getting my mindset to go play soccer again after college. That was kind of my, there was a time in my, after my freshman year where coach Calhoun said, Hey, you know, might not be this place for you. You know, you might want to transfer. You didn't play a lot of minutes, played like nine minutes a game, average two points. He said, you might want to transfer. He's like, I'll call any school you want. And I told coach three things. I said, one, if I leave here, I'm going to play soccer. I'm not, I'm done. I, I promised my mom, I'd give it a shot. And I'm going to go play. I'm a soccer player. And I was still holding on to that. I was having my freshman year. And then, so I said, the other thing, so then he, he says, uh, well, I'll make some calls. Let's talk tomorrow. I tell my mom, come back in his office the next day. And I said, you know what, coach, I'm going to be one of the most memorable players to ever come through this place. I'm not giving up. I'm going to be the captain of this team. And just for bleeps and giggles, I said, I'm going to play in the NBA also. He laughed. I remember him laughing at me. Calvin's like, okay, okay. And I think he felt 
I think he felt bad for me. So he's like, let me give this kid another shot. And, and the rest is history. So even at that point, you know, coach knew like this kid is, he's on something different, which, and, and, and just for the record, all those things came true. Uh, and I probably pulled a couple of those out of my butt, but they came true. But even at that point of the draft, I said, you know what? I love this game of soccer. I'm still going to give myself a chance. I was still close with my, my high school coach, Tim Duffy, who played over in Ireland and then coached us since I was a kid. So I was getting myself ready for that. And then Cleveland drafts me. And next thing you know, here I go team. I never worked out for team that played really slow. So I'm like, how am I going to fit? Eked out a couple years there. Wayne Embry was the GM there. He was a great guy. Beautiful man. Um, really changed my life because I, I, I didn't have my mindset on playing basketball. I just didn't. I still in deep. I was a soccer player. I'm like, I'm six, seven. I know I'm going to probably be a marketing, just wonder boy at this size at that time. If I play soccer and uh, Wayne Embry changed my life. He really did. He drafted me. I played for a coach that just wasn't a player's coach in Mike Fratello, but I learned a lot about the game and, you know, I, I squeezed five, six years out. Got a pension. So again, this I, I say I overachieved because these are all things, Coach and Ralph, that I never in my wildest dream imagined. And I don't want to devalue what it's meant to my life because I know people live and die to play in the NBA and play professional sports. But I was kind of just working hard and being better than I thought I could ever be or anyone else thought I could be was kind of my goal. That's what that's what motivated me. It wasn't the the NBA wasn't the money. It was be something that no one has can, expected you to be. Who coached it for the Nets? Was it Jason Kidd or no? No, Jason Kidd was my teammate. So oh. it was interesting because I knew Jason in high school and we played in some some tournaments up in Portland and we'd go down to California and the couple years I played. And, and so we kind of stayed in touch. Cal was one of the teams I was going to go play for. But when I took my trip to UConn, that was that was it. When I saw Mark Sir and Rod Sellers get into a fist fight at midcourt on my recruiting visit, I looked at Kevin Ollie. I said, I'm coming here. I said, this is the place for me. I said, they let you fight in practice. I'm like, I got, I got to come here. I, I was in a soft West coast, you know, the West coast light skinned kid. I, I didn't fit that mold. I was, I, I was, I wanted to fight. So when I saw that, I said, I'm coming here. And then I let Jay kid know, cause he was still in high school at the time. I said, uh, and I also let Steve Fisher know who was at Michigan, the coach at the time. I said, I'm coming to UConn. It's just a place for me. And, and Jay Kidd was my teammate. He ended up, I, I ended up retiring. I got into TV a little bit after I went overseas, did some TV stuff at our local uh, CBS affiliate in Hartford with a buddy of mine, Joe Tessitore, fantastic guy, helped my career in TV. It wasn't for him. I wouldn't be in TV. And then Jay Kidd said, Hey, you still got some sneakers. You want to play? I said, yeah. He's like, well, I'm, I'm looking for a trade to Jersey. I need, I need some allies. And that was the next two years. And we went to two NBA finals and, and I, I still talk with Jason probably three times a week. We text and I give him my two cents. He, he'd always ask me, even if I didn't play, he'd always ask me what I saw when he'd come out of the game. What can we do better? What do you, so um, playing with him was a, was a treat. That was, that was special. Byron Scott, to answer your question, Byron Scott was our coach. Great players coach. I say Byron Scott was the coach, but we played for Jason Kidd. That's that. <laughs> that's a difference. I mean, Kerry Kittles, Keith Van Horn, Kenyon Martin, Lucius Harris. We had a you know Todd McCullough. We had studs. Dikembe Mutombo was on our team one year. Rodney Rogers. We had studs, and uh, um, Richard Jefferson was on that team as well. Um, it, we had studs, but yeah, Byron was our coach. We played for Jason though. Coach Perez. Well, you know, hearing these stories and, and about you know, it's very interesting to me that. 
you know, you you were even thinking about playing soccer later on after UConn. Trust yeah. me, a 6'7 guy like yourself, I would have grabbed in a New York second. But um, Coach, you imagine how much money I could have made? Oh well, man. <laughs> you would have been you would have been over there across the pond quick. Uh, yes, I would have. Yes, I would have. But here's the thing that's so interesting, uh, and I know UConn men's soccer, UConn men's basketball, and obviously the women's program there in basketball are are big programs and successful programs. Uh, Since you've left UConn and that whole journey, have you been able to get back? Have you been able to follow uh, the whole process even after Coach Calhoun left? And and, uh, I know that you're doing broadcasting now as well. How much time does that allow you to, you know, stay affiliated with that great school? Yeah, you know, I when when Coach left, Kevin Ollie came in. So obviously, I was a huge. He's he's my, you know, he's basically my brother. So we played together four years. So I was proud of him. He won a league championship, won an NCAA title, and you know, had some issues afterwards with the school. They 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 tried to clean it up, but the school's had a really a weird kind of transition I think since coach and even Kevin in terms of the relationship with former players I've tried to be the glue and the the, kind of the bridge between um and it's just a different you know it's a different world we live in I I I get back to answer your question because I I I call a lot of UConn games for Fox Sports nationally um and I, I live literally three miles from campus uh so I'm I'm you know, I'm around. I was on the board of trustees for a while there, so I was up on campus a lot. Um, it, you know, it's in, in in our day and age of big business in terms of college basketball. There, you know, transients kind of they run the show everywhere, not just at UConn, but everywhere. And connecting the the the, the past, the, the the future, or the now to the to the past is sometimes hard and and not a priority for a lot of schools. Uh, UConn, I think, is trying to do that. They're trying to get there to to realize how valuable um, it is to have your former players back around and be seen. The Dukes do of the world. North Carolina does it. The Michigans, the the Blue Bloods, the major contributors to college basketball success over the last 30, 40 years, they do it. And I think UConn is, they're trying to do that. Um, We're trying to be vocal and say, look, we want to come back. We want to be around. We want to help you recruiting. Um, But, you know, things change. You know, I always tell kids now, I said, no matter how good you are, I told Andre Jackson, great player for UConn, great athlete. I said, you know, uh, you you, you know, there's only been two teams that were 15 and 0 at UConn ever. And they were 14 and 0 at the time. And he, to me, said, yeah, I know, and one, your team was one of them. And, and so I said, well, show me, show me if you're worthy of, of, of matching it. They lost that game. But it's interesting that these young kids still remember uh, us really better than some of the administration remembers us. So I, for me, it's easy because I'm on TV. You can't, look, you can't, you can't escape me during college basketball. <laughs> but for my other brothers that have played there, I think that they deserve probably more, you know, phone calls and letters, just the small things. And and I try to, I try to continue to be that bridge with that, but I, I love my school. I, I, it doesn't matter who's coaching there, who's playing there. That university did so much for my life, continues to do so much for my life. And I'll, I'll owe it and, and coach Calhoun to, to the day I die again, no matter who's there. Right. Tell us a little bit about your the broadcast and what you like about it. I know you do Fox. I know you do some radio with the final. Yeah, on it right, Westwood. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's the, the 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 TV started really because I was done playing basketball. I knew what I wanted to do. I, I either wanted to be in TV or I wanted to coach. I wanted to stay close to the game and 
when I realized that I don't, I would never lose a game as a broadcaster, I'm like, okay, this is for me. Obviously, you can tell in our conversation, I've always had the gift of gab and I've always read and wanted to be just better, better informed. I love to read. I love to learn new things. I've always been that way as a kid. So, you know, even as a freshman coach would let me do interviews, which normally they don't allow freshmen to do, but I just, I had a way with words and I was thoughtful. And so I knew when I got done playing, I wanted to go into TV. I wanted to, you know, I had a lot of self promoters, I would say that called our games back, back, you know, in the nineties from broadcasters, they were selling something or themselves. And, and, and really the, the priority wasn't the players or where they came from or their, or their struggles or, or how they got there. And I wanted to change that. I wanted to be a guy who told the player's story, told the coach's story, you know, got guys' names right, knew where guys were from, studied where, you know, where the kid's from in Latvia. You know, I wanted to I wanted to just be that voice for players that I didn't have when I was a player. And um, got out, and I'm like, this is what it is. It helped that I was an athlete, a professional athlete. People tend to listen to you more. And, and I knew that my words were important as they are today. I, I don't take for granted what I say or what I do. And, and I, I pride myself on even today. I'm, I'm not a, I don't have any social media. I'm not a self promoter and I'm not a story breaker. I just, I want to tell good stories of a, a game that has changed my life. And now I'm in, I don't know, 20, if I wasn't interrupted, I think it was probably 21 to maybe I'm in my 22nd year of television. And that's been, you know, calling NBA games for the Celtics for nine years, four or five years with the Brooklyn Nets, college basketball all throughout ESPN very early in my career. And um, the Olympics 2012 called the games for the Olympics in London. That was that, you know, here's this little half breed from a suburb of Seattle, Federway, Washington and London calling basketball games in the Olympics. Like, I, I, you know, it's like, how did, how did this happen? You know, how did I get here? And I still feel that, you know, I still feel that when I'm calling a, a UConn Providence game, you know, right down the street, I'm like, you know, man, I just can't, I can't express how fortunate I am for my mother, my coaches, you know, the opportunities, the people at Fox who have said, yeah, we dude, you're our guy. You know, it's just, so you, you got to sit back and realize that it's, it's not always about what we do. It's about the things that are around us. You know, it's, I, I always tell my friends when they're like, where'd you get those shoes? Where'd you get those golf clubs? Where'd you get whatever it is? They're like, Oh, who do you know? And I'm like, you know what? It's not about who, you know, it's about who knows you in everything in life. Because <laughs> you can say, I know Ray Reed, you they say coach Reed, this guy, something Marshall's outside of Ray Reed says, I have no idea who that is. You ain't getting in. So that, that, that's what I tell people. It's not about who you know, it's who knows you. And that's pretty much been my life. You know, people who know me and know my character and my reputation have put me in a great position to, to have a, a wonderful life. They really have. You know, you said two words that I, I forgot. I think I got it right now. You said federal way. Wasn't your partner, striker, Ricky Greenwood, who went to Seattle Pacific? Yes, it was. And I talked to him today. Actually, I have a University of Washington, Arizona game coming up and I'm headed to Seattle uh, very soon. And it's the first time I'll be home and or be back in 10 years. And he he, he said he's going to be there to greet me as we get as I get off the plane, which I don't need. But I haven't seen him in a long, long time. But that's still I've, Ricky was my I met him when I was six years old. He actually lived with me and my mom, and my brother. I think when, when I, we were like eight to 10, he had a, a little tough spot in his life growing up and we became really close. 
we we were a wrecking crew, two man wrecking crew, all throughout elementary, middle school, high school. We ran things on the soccer field and the the basketball court. So he's he's still he's an agent now. He, he represents players. He uh, he just has a player he signed at San Jose, and he's still doing that. And out in Seattle, he's he's doing well. He's still around the game that that he loves. But he te- he he's, he's still off a little because he's he's watching the World Cup and he says, man. You should be in there with Alexi Lalas, man. Not that you. You should. I said, Rick. I, I'm staying in my lane, man. I, I'm staying in my lane. They should have brought you instead of Chad Ochocinco. I'll tell you oh that. Oh my god, I'm not. I don't want to listen. I, I I don't ever. I give. I give guys like they say now. They're flowers. If if they can prove to somebody they belong somewhere, even if everyone else knows they don't belong there, I am not going to hate on them. I, because I'm sure there are times where people look at me on TV and like, what is he doing here? But. I, I'm never gonna. You, you listen. If they if they want you there, you go, man. I I, I was I was not mad at, at Ocho Cinco at all. I'm gonna kick it back to Ralph for his final questions, but I want to say one thing, and then I'll let Ralph close it with you and, and his questions. But from me, I was at Southern Connecticut, you know, coach, and I watched you play hoops. I loved Jim Callen. I loved UConn basketball, and what you and 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 going to UConn changed my life, and what you did. Kevin Ollie, Ray Allen, Ricky Moore, Richard Hamilton, Khalid, Jake, you know, Coach Calhoun. You guys didn't just change the university. You changed the whole state. You changed the whole athletic department. You changed how they did business. And some of the best days of my life was my first 10, 15 years there, being in Gamble next to the basketball, just taking it all in. And as a guy who benefited from your hard work, Thank you for what you did for UConn Athletic. The university, what you continue to do, you're doing a different thing now, and it's, it's as important. But what you did then, and what you all you guys did, Ray and Kevin, I can't thank you enough. You, you gave my guys, Chris Bond, you bunch of you guys, somebody to emulate, somebody to look up to, and I thank you for that. Yeah, no, no, thanks, Coach. That, that means a lot. You just don't know when you come three thousand miles from home, how many people you affect outside of your sport, and you know between you and and still all the beautiful fans at the games that I call that still treat me like I, you know, just left yesterday. It's a, it's a reaffirmation for me that, you know, it's a validation better that I picked the right place. And uh, if I had to do it again, 10 times, 10 more lifetimes, I'd I'd go to UConn 10 more life, 10 more times. Thanks for listening to For the Love of the Game with Ralph and Ray. Be sure to leave us a review and follow this podcast on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk with you next time.